7 a.m. on the West Coast, 10 a.m. on the East Coast of America. Why do I always do that out of the side of my mouth? I don't know. 3 p.m. in London, 11 p.m. in Kyoto, Japan, Kumbawa. and in Malaysia, it's 1910, way before we had a government. <laughs> I'm Jay Sheldon, and I'm not wearing pants. Hello, welcome. Welcome in to all of our live viewers. We are on Facebook Live. We are on YouTube. Jay Sheldon Malaysia is where you will find us on YouTube. Please subscribe to my YouTube channel. I'm begging you. Yes, I've been resort. I've been reduced to begging. We need the uh, we need the subscriptions over there, and of course Twitch.tv, where you'll also find Miko merch, like this, with our show logo and Miko, the magnificent, and lots of other cool things: hats, t-shirts, mouse pads, stickers, all kinds of great stuff there. And you will find us on Patreon.com/slash Jay Sheldon if you want to help support the show. And thank you for those that do. All right. You'll also uh, welcome into a uh, big uh, welcome to our podcast viewers, wherever you may be listening in on uh, Spotify, Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, whatever podcast supplier you use, you will find us. Just type in I'm not wearing pants. Look for that show logo. And uh, that's it. Hit subscribe. Download. Knock yourselves out. And there we go. All right. Uh, let's see. What else have we got to take care of for business here tonight? Not too much, I don't think. It's been, oh, it's raining again. If you listen, I don't know. I've got a limiter on this microphone, so it probably will, will dampen it out. But uh, yeah, <clears throat> it is... This afternoon, we had a torrential downpour, heavy-duty, rainy season kind of rain. And then since then, we've had, here in Subang Jaya in Malaysia, we've had two or three little bouts of showers that moved through the area. And it's raining again. I know it's rain. Who did that song? It's raining again. That wasn't super tramp. Who did the song It's Raining Again? I want to say Supertramp. That's what popped in my head, but I don't think that's right. Somebody look that up for me, please. Put it in the chat. All right. And uh, it's, of course, time. Miko Update. Miko Update. <laughs> Miko was around. I thought she was actually going to make it to the show tonight, but she didn't, so... Uh, we tried. We really did try. She's had a great day, a good weekend. We got out. We took her around and about. We actually, did I tell you we took her to the vet because she had this problem with her girly parts. I'm trying to keep it family friendly. Um, she was paying an awful lot of attention to her girly parts. And uh, I tell you, if you don't know, Shiba Inus are like the cats of the dog world. They keep themselves unbelievably clean. They are always cleaning themselves. They are a very, very clean dog. Consequently, when she takes care of her female parts, it's not that big of a deal, but she was paying a kind of extra attention to it. So we were a bit worried, and so we took her to the vet. The vet took a, I don't know, some sort of sample from back there. <laughs> this is, <laughs> do you really care? I'll tell you anyway, even if you don't. Uh, I'll tell you what, let me pop up her picture so at least you'll have interesting things to look at. <laughs> so anyway, the vet said everything's fine, no big deal. Uh, she is, however, about two weeks away from apparently going into another cycle. So, oh my God, here we go again. <laughs> How can you say no to that face? She's also taken to waiting for us to hand feed her. We cook meat for her as part of her diet, and we give her a very good, high-quality brand of a canned dog food. I mean, this stuff is not cheap. But anything for the princess. And um, 
she uh, we made the mistake when she wasn't eating once of feeding her by hand. Yeah, like I said, look at that face. How could you say no? Well, now she's gotten to where she'll sit in front of the bowl and she'll look at the food and then she'll look up at you and she'll look at the food and she'll look back at you. And she wants to be hand fed. Yeah, so there you go. That's a, uh, <laughs> that's the Miko update. She's doing very well. And uh, <laughs> she likes to be hand fed because she's a spoiled brat. So we're trying desperately to break her of that habit. We'll see whether or not, uh, whether or not we have any success. I kind of doubt we're going to have any success. <laughs> All right. Hey, I checked, and uh, we've got with our book tonight. We're doing the Jungle Book, of course, right now. We read classic books on this stream. At the last second half of our show, uh, we do 20 minutes, half an hour of a chapter or so in a classic book. We've done Alice in Wonderland, The Wizard of Oz, The Little Prince, Peter Pan, uh, The Velveteen Rabbit. We've done a bunch of them. Uh, I have picked out what our next two books will be, because one is only a one-episode book. It's a very short little book. And then the next one is a biggie. That's going to take a while. So we'll tell you about that. I don't want to, no spoilers, but uh, two fantastic books. One, the next, the very next one, very much geared for kids. So you can bring the kids along to the second half of the show. And uh, the one after that is just a personal favorite, so... You'll love it. Trust me, you will. All right. Uh, anyway, we have that coming up. And we've just got, I think, one and a half more chapters. And then we're done with The Jungle Book. And it'll be up online for those of you on Patreon.com uh, who subscribe to the second tier of our show. You'll be able to hear all of our books. Um, only that part of the show. We've edited it up so that you've got basically audio books online by chapters and sections and uh, you can go through and listen to them like an audiobook pretty cool all right are you living with a terrorist you saw that in our thumbnail tonight you might be living with a terrorist this is from the idiots at nbc news actually worse than that it's from the idiots at the department of homeland security which i'm sure you're listening are you guys listening Okay, are you listening there? Good. Okay, make note of this next segment of the show, please. The Department of Homeland Security has come out with some very important information on how to spot terrorists. Opposition to COVID measures. Claims of election fraud and a belief that President Trump can be reinstated. And... 9-11 anniversary and religious holidays. Yeah. So, in their never-ending quest to uh, put their thumb directly on the face of conservatives, people who don't hold the right opinion... Uh, or people that just exercise their right to free speech, whether you agree with it or not. And I'm not taking sides in that argument. The only thing I take sides in is an absolute right to free speech, which everyone all over the world should have, and sadly, very few people do. In the U.S., we used to have it. These days, not so much. So this, the idiots of the Department of Homeland Security have listed as potential terror threats. And that, that should scare the hell out of my fellow Americans. Uh, yeah, there you go. All right, um, we, uh, we have a lot of political excitement here in Malaysia. We just had our prime minister resign and his cabinet. And he was then reappointed as the interim prime minister which means basically, I quit, okay, but you can have your job till we find someone to replace you. And um, I don't so much want to get into the politics of Malaysian politics because, again, back to the free speech thing, 
that we don't have. Um, I'm really not going to comment on politics specifically. I am, however, going to share a couple of things that I found, which as we sit and wonder here in Malaysia, what's happening politically, never mind everything that's going on with Afghanistan, but um, that's for another day. As we sit and we wonder what's going on in Malaysia as far as politics go, um, I found a brilliant piece that was written by a friend of mine. It's a public post to Facebook, so I'm sure Alvin will have no problem with my sharing this. And I thought it was absolutely intelligent and smart and wholly true. Imagine all the political wrangling that's going on, and there is a lot of it, is for the position of a servant, a servant to the people. By the way, as an aside, this is not part of Alvin's post, can we stop calling them leaders? Whatever country you live in, they are not your leaders. They work for you. They are your employees. And you can fire them if you want to. So stop calling them leaders. They're not our leaders. They are our servants, as Alvin rightly points out, a servant to the people, back to the peace. Where the top job requires one to put yourself last, or it should. Where the well-being of the people and the economy and justice and fair play and the lives of all are in your hands and it's your burden to bear. It's a position that you will have no, nothing to gain except stress, anxiety, fatigue, and the gratitude of the people who, and this is important, will be your master. It's a crazy job, fit only for the craziest and the noblest man or woman, and maybe it's a woman's job because all the men we have have fallen way past short. A job that requires competence, principles, and grit. If this is the job description for that top post of the land, would there still be scheming, backdoor negotiations, and all those screwed-up games that politicians play? I think not. A brilliant piece, and Alvin, thank you so much for writing that. It needed to be said, but out of all of that, and that is the sort of qualifications someone as the top political post in the country uh, should have. Of all of that, the most important part is the fact that that person and all of those politicians are servants. They're not leaders. They do not lead us. They represent us or at least that's what they're supposed to do. And that goes from America to Malaysia to the UK and everywhere in between. All right, what else have we got? Oh, a brilliant article related to this, actually. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but if you are on LinkedIn, you can read this article. Just look for Kathleen Schaefer. It was published by LinkedIn. It's a public article. And I'm just going to give you a few highlights of the article, but uh, do check it out over on LinkedIn. And uh, again, the author is the founder and CEO at Human Being Store, uh, Kathleen Schaefer. So a tip of the hat to uh, Kathleen for this. One of the, uh, her title of the piece is Politicians Are Not Leaders. Uh, for years, one of the first questions asked in my classes and seminars was, is, fill in the blank, a leader. And of the people most often mentioned by the inquirer were there those in position of authority who were widely known and had accumulated wealth, the halo of its influence. And very often my response was no, which startled the group by suggesting the pinnacles of leadership to which they aspired may not propel them to lives of satisfaction, meaning, an impact. And so her journey with the group sharing a new perspective on what is true leadership. And for the sake of brevity, 
and clarity. Here is what leadership is not. A position, a title, a job, or a role. Something that's practiced occasionally or intermittently when the cameras are rolling with a certain group of people at various and convenient times. Self-serving above service to self, organization, and community. Like I said, I'm not going to get into this whole article, but I highly recommend you check it out. If you are over on LinkedIn or maybe sign up for an account at LinkedIn, brilliant site, especially for business people. And uh, again, just search for Kathleen Schaefer and check out her article, Politicians Are Not Leaders. It's very well written and presents some really cool insight to what true leaders or true politicians, representatives, should be. Where you're actually allowed to have an opinion, whether or not it agrees or disagrees with the minority, the majority, or the person sitting across the table from you. What happened to the days when we used to be able to have civilized discussions, not even arguments necessarily? And sometimes you agree, sometimes you change the other person's mind, sometimes they change yours, and sometimes you agree to disagree. And you go back to being friends and life goes on, and you open another beer. Questioning things these days seems to be forbidden. This is brilliant, too. Michelle, thanks for sharing this. Do not call it science if you aren't allowed to question it. You can call it a belief system. You can call it a religion. Call it a cult. But it is absolutely 100% not science if you're not allowed to question it. Because that's really what science is all about. And uh, let's see, one more before we get into, uh, yeah, two more, okay. Two more on a related topic. Brilliant. Who posted this? <laughs> it's Alvin again. Fantastic. Man, I'm telling you, Alvin, I used your stuff a lot tonight, but it's good stuff. Yes, this, uh, if, you're watching, if you're listening to the podcast, sorry, there's a visual part to this. Uh, you can go to rumble.com slash jsheldonnopants. You'll find tonight's episode, the video version, up on rumble.com. A quote from a Hungarian Jew from the documentary The Last Days. Now you listen close and you think about how this relates to some of the things going on today. People wonder, how is it that we didn't do something? We didn't run away. We didn't hide. Well, things didn't happen all at once. Things happened very slowly. So each time a new law came out or a new restriction, we said, eh, it's just another thing. It'll blow over. And when we had to wear the yellow star to be outside, that's when we started to worry. Take note, my friends. It's all moving very fast. All right. I got one more and then we'll have some fun, I promise, because I always leave you on an up note. I don't always like to get all the heavy, heavy stuff and everything. But um, vaccine passports and all that ridiculous crap that's going on. Look, I'm not anti-vax. I've said it a billion times. I've said it on this show. I've said it to my friends. I am absolutely not anti-vax. You want to get the vaccine, get the vaccine. You don't, don't. Me, same thing. It's your private medical information. I don't care. I don't want to know. But this is brilliant. Gerard uh, Adams shared this. It's a little fake scene, but if you can imagine, I can imagine this happening more often than not these days. Walked into a restaurant to have dinner tonight. Hello, 
Hi. Table for two, please. Sure. And your name? Sue. Uh, great. And do you and your guest have your vaccine cards? Uh, we do. Can you tell us who our server will be? Um, it looks like Tom will be your server tonight. Great. Can you show us Tom's vaccination card? Um, oh, and also, can you provide me with, that proof, uh, with proof that Tom is not a HIV carrier, hepatitis A or B, or any other of a number of communicable diseases? Um, also, we prefer not to be served by someone who is on or uses recreational drugs such as cocaine, meth, fentanyl, etc. So if you could provide us with Tom's most recent toxicology screening, that'd be great. Um, let me get a manager. That'd be great too. Thanks. Can you see that happening? 100%. Hundred percent, my friends. Won't be long now. Because they just came out with another regulation or another law and we thought, oh, it'll blow over. And it all happened slowly until one day. Boom. All right. <clears throat> Let me move on to the fun stuff. <laughs> Kitchen nightmares. No, seriously. Stuff. Oh my god. Um, yeah, this is the, probably the best one to start off with. It says it right here. It's like, mm, sorry, honey. Uh, if again, all of these are visual, so I'm sorry to our podcast listeners. Uh, it's basically one of those plastic cutting boards that has melted clean through the electric burner on a stove. But go to rumble.com slash jsheldon no pants. You can watch. You watch the episode. Skip ahead to like 22 minutes into the episode. I don't care. You watch the rest of the show. If you just want to see this part, just go to rumble.com slash Sheldon no pants. And uh, you'll see the uh, <laughs> you'll see the visuals that we're about to share, including this one. And then whoever did that had the audacity or the gall or the chutzpah to uh, to write sorry, honey, on the uh, <laughs> on the cutting board. Oh, man. Okay. Uh, confession time. I've done this one. I have actually done this one. I use induction burners now, which are great. Once you get used to cooking on induction, I will never go back to anything else. But when back in the day when I used a gas cooktop, <laughs> uh, you know, the pasta, I don't like to break my pasta. Who breaks their pasta? Don't that do that. In fact, in Italy, it's a sin, I think. It's, it's against the law if you break your pasta. But yeah, you stick the pasta in the pot and some of it sticks out of the edge of the pot. And if you're not sitting right there to kind of let it melt and soften until you can push it all in, it'll catch fire. And I've actually had this happen before. This is rather scary. But yeah. That's uh, that's happened to me. Okay, how about... <laughs> I couldn't tell what this was at first, and then suddenly it hit me. Uh, somebody has been cutting a fish, but perhaps a little too vigorously, because they've not only cut the fish, but they've cut the entire side off of the cutting board. Oh, man. These are nice. This one is great. <laughs> I don't know, this looks like a loaf of bread, maybe? And I'm assuming this is probably from the bottom of the pot. But they cooked their eyeglasses right into the bread. Now, I'm assuming probably this is a plastic frame. How that didn't melt, I have no idea. But there's a loaf of what looks like bread or maybe banana bread? I can't tell. And a pair of glasses that are very nicely baked right into the loaf. Very good. Uh, oh yeah, I've had that happen too. Here we have the, uh, the broken bottom of the pot and the pasta and water all over the place. I have, I have had this one happen. Uh, I, don't ask me. I, you know what? I can do some dumb, dumb cooking stuff, but I don't think I could hit this level. <laughs> Just ridiculous. Okay. 
If you're not a fan of broccoli, this might not apply to you, but normally you take the broccoli. This has got to be like some husband who's done this. You know, the wife said, could you help me cook the broccoli? Just put it in boiling water. And this is likely what happened. Uh, again, instead of cutting the little flowerettes off the stalk, just stick the whole thing right in the pot and put the water on the... You know, it would probably do the same thing, wouldn't it? I suppose. I think he needs a little more water, though. Um, oh, man, this just happened to me about three or four weeks ago. I was making uh, pasta sauce, pasta and sauce. I made homemade sauce. And I had um, some Italian seasoning. And the lid was not on. I mean, not the screw top lid, but the little shaker part somehow got loosened. And I turned it upside down to sprinkle some. And the lid came off, and this is exactly what happened. The entire contents of the can of seasonings wound up in my sauce. I was able to scrape most of it out, thankfully, because it wasn't mixed in yet. But yeah, this is a nightmare. Um, oh, here's a nice baking experiment. <laughs> a little overboard on this one. Oh, man. What is it? It looks like curry puffs and french fries. I don't know who makes their... They're French fries with curry puffs. If that's, It does look like curry puffs, though. Um, that's probably the reheating job that didn't quite go so well. Although it'd be a great source of uh, carbon in your diet. <laughs> I have also had this happen many, many years ago. If you're going to reheat a pizza in the oven, try putting it on a metal baking dish, maybe. Uh, if you put it directly on the rack... You're going to wind up with very thin sliced pizza. <laughs> this is a classic. Uh, okay, I'm not quite sure what this is, but apparently someone found a better way to wash their carrots. That's a lot of carrots in the washing machine. Yeah. Um, very <laughs> That's got to be a really tough onion. I would be crying over that one yes i know i know i know okay bad pun um wow ah my mom used to use a pressure cooker and do people still use pressure cookers i don't even think i've seen one for sale anywhere i would never dare use a pressure basically it's a pot you put water and whatever inside the lid seals, and then you boil the water inside, and it builds up the pressure, and that's what cooks whatever food is inside. There's a relief safety valve, but sometimes they don't work. And this is what happens when they don't work. That is the lid impaled in the ceiling of the kitchen. Obviously, everything that's in the pot, which is usually really, really hot, splatters everywhere. But yeah, that's the amount of force that builds up inside a pressure cooker. So if that sucker goes, you do not want to be in the same room with, with that. Okay, this, I don't know, a, maybe baking bread? Does that look like a loaf of bread? I have no idea what that is, but it's, it actually looks kind of tasty. Rather interesting. <laughs> oh, man, this, this has got to be... Oh, okay, this, is, this one happens all the time. This has got to be just like everybody's sitting there going, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, that's me. I've had this happen more than once. Uh, if you're not careful, you wind up. But this is a great photograph and showing you a, a rather interesting way of looking at it. Uh, it looks like linguine or a really bad, it looks like a uh, lockdown hair. <laughs> Incredible. And uh, okay, don't know what this is, but it's a problem. <laughs> this is incredible. Are you kidding me? <laughs> this looks like lava coming off the side of, a, of an active volcano. Look at that. It's rather cool, actually. Kitchen nightmares. Oh, please tell me somebody did not try and heat up some water or make. Yeah, that's a water heater, which 
I'm guessing some moron tried to heat on a gas burner. What, thinking that's how you would heat the water instead of plugging it in? There is no end. To, that's why they say, you know, let's just take the warning labels off everything and let the stupid people, you know, just figure it out themselves. Here's another one. Brilliant. Very, I would, that, I would think that was a metal pot, but it must have been plastic. <laughs> okay. This can uh, be very well identified to folks here in Malaysia. This would appear to be either Yi Mi or some kind of Maggie Mi, or that's a brand, but uh, some sort of Mi, which is done just about right in the middle but I'm afraid the outside of that one is pretty much a goner. Not to mention it'd probably be like a rock. <laughs> My God. Yes, microwaving your uh, coffee to reheat it. That doesn't always work out so well, does it? Is that coffee? I have no It looks like it used to be coffee. <laughs> Unbelievable. And... Again, that kind of looks like rice, but I've never known rice to do that before. <laughs> so just unbelievable. Ah, here, okay, this, this is another one. Now, this isn't a pressure cooker. This is a frying pan. But I'm guessing this is probably an overheated oil situation. That's the other thing. I got a hot air fryer because I refuse to do oil on a, even though I use induction, there's no flame. But these people who deep fry with an open gas flame with the oil, oh, it scares the hell out of me. I, I would never dare to do that. And <laughs> very nice. This is why we don't use plastic non-cooking utensils for cooking. It is a rather nice design, though. And yes, uh, cookie cutters, if you've ever been a baker and you've made cookies... This is usually what the cookies will... There's, there's a horse or a rhinoceros or an elephant without a trunk, maybe. I think rhinoceros. Well, no, it doesn't have a horn. <laughs> All right, and back to the beginning again with this, uh, <laughs> this wonderful cutting board. Sorry, honey. Sorry, honey, I, I melted the cutting board. Unbelievable. All right, enough of this faulty roll. <laughs> Amazing. Okay, it's uh, it's time. I think <laughs> it's time to get out of this and get into uh, get into our book. Uh, we have been doing the Jungle Book for a whole lot of streams, and uh, we're going to continue tonight with that. Um, what happened to my? I had everything, you know, it's done it again. This happened, you'd think by now I might have learned, huh? But apparently, I never will learn. So now we have to go back and we have to do this. Hang on, bear with me. There we go. Okay, I found it. We're all good. <clears throat> Excuse me. The Jungle Book by Rudyard Kipling from 1894. Uh, we are just a chapter and a half away from being finished with The Jungle Book. And uh, this is not The Jungle Book you know if you've only watched the movies. This is really deep and very dark in places and covers not just one little boy's adventure in the jungle, but covers a whole bunch of different things about the jungle and the animals therein. And um, Kala Nag and Little Tumai and the gang were uh, sleeping. They had settled down for the night and off in the distance heard the hoot toot of the wild elephant. But uh, it seemed that we were leading into something mysterious happening in the night. And so we will continue with the Jungle Book. All the elephants in the lines jumped up as if they'd been shot and their grunts at last waked the sleeping mahouts, and they came out and drove in the picket pegs with big mallets, 
and tightened this rope and knotted that till all was quiet. One new elephant had nearly grubbed up his picket, and Big Tumai took off Kalanag's leg chain and shackled the elephant forefoot to hind foot, but slipped a loop of grass string around Kalanag's leg and told him to remember that he was tied fast. He knew that he and his father and his grandfather had done the very same thing hundreds of times before. Well, Kalanag did not answer to the order by gurgling as he usually did. He stood very still, looking out across the moonlight, his head a little raised and his ears spread like fans up to the great folds of the Garo Hills. Tend to him if he grows restless in the night, said Big Tumai to Little Tumai. And he went into the hut and he slept. And Little Tumai was just about to go to sleep too when he heard the quar string snap of the little tang and Kalanag rolled out of his pickets as slowly and as silently as a cloud rolls out of the mouth of a valley. Little Tumai pattered after him, barefooted, down the road in the moonlight, calling under his breath, Kalanag, Kalanag, take me with you, oh, Kalanag. The elephant turned without a sound, took three strides back to the boy in the moonlight, put down his trunk, and swung him up to his neck. And almost before little Tumai had settled his knees, slipped into the forest. There was one blast of furious trumpeting from the lines, and then the silence shut down on everything, and Kalanag began to move. Sometimes a tuft of High grass washed along his sides as a wave washes along the sides of a ship. <clears throat> and sometimes a cluster of wild pepper vines would move, uh, scrape along his back, or a, a bamboo would creak where his shoulder touched it. But between those times, he moved absolutely without any sound, drifting through the thick garrow forest as though it had been smoke. He was going uphill, but though little Tumai watched the stars in the rifts of the trees, he could not tell in what direction. Then Kalanag reached the crest of the ascent and stopped for a minute, and little Tumai could see the tops of the trees lying all speckled and furry under the moonlight for miles and miles and the blue-white mist over the river in the hollow. Tumai leaned forward and looked, and he felt that the forest was awake below him, awake and alive and crowded. A big brown fruit-eating bat brushed past his ear. A porcupine's quills rattled in the thicket, and in the darkness between the tree stems he heard a hog-bear digging hard in the moist, warm earth and sniffing as it dug. Then the branches closed over his head again, and Kalanag began to go down into the valley, not quietly this time, but as a runaway gun goes down a steep bank in one rush. The huge limbs moved as steadily as pistons, eight feet to each stride, and the wrinkled skin of the elbow points rustled. The undergrowth on either side of him ripped with a noise like a torn canvas, and the saplings that he heaved away right and left with his shoulders sprang back again and banged him on the flank, and the great trails of keepers, all matted together, hung from his tusks, as he threw his head from side to side and plowed out his pathway. Then little Tumai laid himself down close to the great neck, lest a swinging bough should sweep him to the ground, and he wished that he were back in the lines again. The grass began to get squashy, and Kalanag's feet sucked and squelched as he put them down. 
and the night mist at the bottom of the valley chilled little Tumai. There was a splash and a trample and the rush of running water. And Kalanag strode through the bed of a river, feeling his way each step. Above the noise of the water as it swirled round the elephant's legs, little Tumai could hear more splashing and some trumpeting both upstream and down. Great grunts and angry snortings, and all the mist about him seemed to be full of rolling, waving shadows. I, he said half aloud, his teeth chattering, the elephant folk are out tonight. It is the dance, then. Kalanag swashed out of the water, blew his trunk clear, and began another climb. But this time he was not alone, and he had not to make his path. That was made already, six feet wide in front of him, where the bent jungle grass was trying to recover itself and stand up. Many elephants must have gone that way only a few minutes before. A little Tamai looked back, and behind him a great wild tusker, with his little pig's eyes glowing like hot coals, was just lifting himself up out of the misty river. Then the trees closed up again, and they went on and up with trumpetings and crashings and the sound of breaking branches on every side of them. At last, Kalanag stood still between two tree trunks at the very top of the hill, they were part of a circle of trees that grew round an irregular space of some three or four acres. And in all that space, as little Tumai could see, the ground had been trampled down as hard as a brick floor. Some trees grew in the center of the clearing, but their bark was rubbed away, and the white wood beneath showed all shiny and polished in the patches of moonlight. There were creepers hanging from the upper branches, and the bells of the flowers of the creepers, great waxy white things, like convolvuluses, hung down fast asleep. But within the limits of the clearing, there was not a single blade of green, nothing but the trampled earth. The moonlight showed it all iron gray except where some elephants stood upon it, and their shadows were inky black. Little Tumai looked, holding his breath, with his eyes staring out of his head, and as he looked, more and more elephants swung out into the open from between the tree trunks. Little Tumai could only count up to ten, and he counted again, and again on his fingers until he lost count of the tens, and his head began to swim. Outside the clearing, he could hear them crashing on the undergrowth as they worked their way up the hillside. But as soon as they were within the circle of the tree trunks, they moved like ghosts. There were white-tusked wild males with fallen leaves and nuts and twigs lying in the wrinkles of their necks and the folds of their ears. Fat, slow-footed she-elephants with restless little pinky-black calves only three or four feet high running under their stomachs. Young elephants with their tusks just beginning to show and very proud of them. Lanky, scraggly old maid elephants with their hollow, anxious faces and trunks like rough bark. Savage old bull elephants, scarred from shoulder to flank with great wheels and cuts of bygone fights. And the caked dirt of their solitary mud baths dropping from their shoulders. And there was one with a broken tusk and the marks of the full stroke the terrible drawing scrape of a tiger's claw on his side. They were standing head to head, or walking to and fro across the ground in couples, or rocking and swaying all by themselves, scores 
and scores of elephants. Tumai knew that so long as he lay still on Kalanag's neck, nothing would happen to him. For even in the rush and scramble of a Kadad drive, a wild elephant does not reach up with his trunk and drag a man off the neck of a tame elephant. And these elephants were not thinking of men that night. Once they started and put their ears forward, when they heard the chinking of a leg iron in the forest. But it was Pudmini, Peterson Sahib's pet elephant. Her chain snapped short off, grunting and snuffling up the hillside. She must have broken her pickets and come straight from Peterson Sahib's camp. And little Tumai saw another elephant, one that he didn't know with deep rope galls on his back and breast. He too must have run away from some camp in the hills about. At last, there was no sound of any more elephants moving in the forest. And Kalanag rolled out from his station between the trees and went into the middle of the crowd, clucking and gurgling. And all the elephants began to talk in their own tongue and to move about. Still lying down, Little Tumai looked down upon scores and scores of broad backs and wagging ears and tossing trunks and little rolling eyes. He heard the click of tusks as they crossed other tusks by accident, and the dry rustle of trunks twined together, and the chafing of enormous sides and shoulders in the crowd, and the incessant flick and hish of the great tails. Then a cloud came over the moon, and he sat in black darkness. But the quiet, steady hustling and pushing and gurgling went on just the same. He knew that there were elephants all round Kalanag, and that there was no chance of backing him out of the assembly. So he set his teeth and shivered. In a kadat, at least there was torchlight and shouting. But here he was all alone in the dark. And once a truck came up, and a trunk came up, and touched him on the knee. Then an elephant trumpeted, and they all took it up for four or ten terrible seconds. The dew from the trees above spattered down like rain on the unseen backs, and a dull blooming noise began. Not very loud at first, and little Tumai could not tell what it was, but it grew and grew. And Kalanag lifted up one forefoot and then the other, and then brought them down to the ground. One, two, one, two, as steadily as trip hammers. The elephants were stamping all together now and it sounded like a war drum beaten at the mouth of a cave. The dew fell from the trees till there was no more left to fall, and the booming went on, and the ground rocked and shivered, and little Tumai put his hands up to his ears to shut out the sound. But it was all one gigantic jar that ran through him, this stamp of hundreds of heavy feet, on the raw earth. Once or twice he could feel Kalanag and the others surge forward a few strides, and the thumping would change to the crushing sound of juicy green things being bruised. But in a minute or two, the boom of feet on the hard earth began again. A tree was creaking and groaning somewhere near him. He put out his arm and felt the bark, but Kalanag moved forward, still tramping, and he could not tell where he was in the clearing. There was no sound from the elephants except once, when two or three little calves squeaked together. Then he heard a thump and a shuffle, and the booming went on. It must have lasted two full hours, and little to my ached in every nerve. 
but he knew by the smell of the night air that the dawn was coming. And indeed the morning broke in one sheet of pale yellow behind the green hills. And we'll find out what happens in the morning on our next stream. <laughs> wow, that was cool. Dang, the elephant dance. And little to my finally got to experience it. Excellent. All right, guys. <laughs> we went a little long, but uh, that was worth it. That was very cool. We're nearly at the end of the Jungle Book. This is the kind of second to last chapter. The last chapter is just some summing up stuff. So anyway, we'll continue on our next stream on Wednesday night. So we hope you will join us for that. To our podcast listeners, thank you so much for your downloads and subscriptions. Uh, whether you are on uh, Google, uh, Google, uh, twitch.tv, uh, Jay Sheldon, Malaysia on YouTube or Facebook, Thanks for popping in and saying hello. Thanks for the likes and the follows and subscribes. And of course, you can watch our full video version of the show over on rumble.com. Rumble.com has taken off, man. It was beating all the other, even YouTube is getting its ass kicked by rumble.com. So it is the place to be for censorship-free uh, videos of all kinds, not just political stuff. There's plenty of that, but there's all kinds of great videos from sports to science to cat and dog videos too. Although I don't think pop cats over there. Yeah, that one. All right, guys, I'll see you again on Wednesday night. Until then, next time, thanks for watching. I'm Jay Sheldon. I'm not wearing pants. Good night.